Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. If you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in, in Psalm chapter 8. That's where we'll be this morning. Psalm chapter 8. I love this psalm. Uh, this is one that I, I literally, I come back over and over again to because uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, this is one I, I camp out in and I, I read over and over again. And I, I continue to sit in awe at God because as you read it, it gives you such a grand picture of this big and majestic, holy God. But yet at the same time, he still cares for us. He cares for our waywardness. He cares for our mess. He cares and he wants to be with us. So today we're going to walk through this text. We're going to see David just marveling at the grandeur of God, how good he is, how big he is. And my hope today is that as we walk through this, that you would refocus a bit. You'd be refueled to walk out these doors, not in the strength that you walked in, but with the strength of God who's on your side, understanding that you have a good God that loves you and is for you. Psalm chapter 8, if you're able to go ahead and stand your feet uh, with me if you're able psalm 8 we're going to read the whole thing it's not long eight verses and i'm going to ask you you know when you go home or even in the morning just reread it and let the words minister to your soul as we walk through today psalm 8 here now the reading of god's word oh lord our lord dj Sorry, my little man was lost. That's what daddies do. Right here, buddy, you're found. Come on up here. He was lost and now he's found, y'all. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established your strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. I love these verses. Look at them. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Very word of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the mindfulness of God, or should I say a mindful God, a mindful God. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, God. We thank you that we celebrate dads today. We celebrate Juneteenth. We celebrate freedom for all. We celebrate justice for all. We celebrate you and what you did on the cross for us some 2,000 years ago and the fact that we're here because of your grace. God, I do ask, as I ask every week, you hide me behind the cross so that you may be lifted up in this place. Father, decrease me so that you may increase. We need a word from you 
So I ask now that the meditation of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. Get glory in this place. And we all ask in the name of Jesus, we say amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, on this Father's Day again, as I said before, I do recognize that this is a tough holiday for some of us. It can be a difficult one um, for many of us, whether our relationships with our fathers are existent, and whether they were in the house but really not in the house. Um, it's an estranged relationship or it's not existent at all. It's, it can be a tough one. But listen, I... There is hope. There's hope, or else I wouldn't be standing here in front of you. As a, a black man, I was raised by my single mom who was sitting here in the front row. Um, the odds were simply stacked against me. And the plight or the reality of fatherlessness in the black community, or really, sadly, any community today, is pretty horrific, but specifically if we speak to the black community, it's one that I believe that all of us should lament over. It's one that should grieve us when we look at fatherlessness in the black community. To be honest, with American chattel slavery where black people were bred like dogs, uh, babies were ripped from their mothers and sold like puppies. Uh, slave masters raping their slaves, forming really a new ethnicity to Jim Crow law, segregation, beatings, lynchings, through the civil rights movement to now we would call the new Jim Crow, where you have jails that are still overcrowded with people of color for selling the same drugs that are now legal in many parts of our country. To be honest, the black family, if anything, is a miracle. And we should all celebrate black families in here, not just on Juneteenth, but every day, it's a miracle. I, and now, hear me, that doesn't excuse anything that happens in the black community or things that we do. But the family in itself, with all the history, when you, when you think about everything that's happened in America throughout the hundreds of years and all the things I just walked through, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't have things that we do wrong, but would you think there'd be some issues? Up until this day, racism and things still exist. All the things that have happened throughout the history, there's going to be some issues. Now, I'm not excusing us, but family, hear me, the black family is a miracle. Amen. Now, again, there's been many odds stacked against the family. I mean, when you don't see one modeled in front of you, and it's not because of choice, but force, when you don't see a family modeled in front, what do you expect? How do you create one? And that, that's part of my story, and it may be part of your story, too. 
Growing up, as I said before, I grew up in a single-parent household. My father was not around. And my mother, she did a lot of things well, y'all. She did a lot of things well. But one thing she did was that she made sure to get me around coaches and other men that I could look up to. And what I started doing is I learned to just take a little bit from this guy and this guy. And I was trying to kind of shape what I thought a man should be. And so I had this visual of what I thought a man should be, but it really wasn't complete. It wasn't complete until I met Kaylee, uh, my wife now, who introduced me to her spiritual father, CJ, who shared Jesus with me. He shared Christ with me, but that wasn't it, y'all. I was, every day I was at his house, I was sitting at the dinner table with him, hanging with him and his family, listening to them talk and just taking it all in and how they moved and how they worked. I had never seen a black family function the way that they did. Reading the Bible together, sitting down at the table, talking over finances with he and his wife, and I never saw CJ to this day. I've never seen her him yell or raise his voice at his wife. He's always washed her with the water of God's word and poured scripture over her. We played basketball together, and y'all already know I won every time we played. Um, we traveled together, got in the car, went on car rides together, and just hung out and talked. And the more we hung out, and even to this day, I had asked this question like, man, besides Jesus saying, make disciples. CJ, why did you take a liking to me? Why, why did you invite me in your house, CJ? You, you didn't know me. Why let me sit at your table? I'm basically a stranger. First time he met me, I didn't look good like this. I had my pants sagging down, do-rag over my head. I thought I was the man. 4X t-shirt, that's how we wore it back in the day. Why, CJ, would you let me in your house? It got so bad, family. We would talk, we would talk. I had all these questions, and we would stay on the phone all hours of night, and his wife literally had to put a curfew on the phone because we would talk so much. Why, CJ? And I remember it was probably two, maybe a few years ago, where I did ask CJ this question, and he said, you know, the." Maybe a year before I met you, my friend Nate, and you guys may know him, he was the counselor that was on the Gospel and Race conversation last year with mental health. He said, Nate and I, uh, we, we began to pray, and we prayed specifically that we would be able to pour into young black men who were fatherless like ourselves. We prayed and we prayed, and then a year later, you came into my life. CJ said, you were the spiritual son that I had been praying for. Now, now watch this. This then led to me sharing Christ with Steve, Pastor Steve. Sharing with Chris, who works here. Starting a campus ministry. Starting two different churches. Preaching the gospel all over the world. Listen, here's the point. I'm here standing in front of you and not another statistic because CJ, another fatherless black man, broke the chain. 
and was mindful of someone else. And friends, I've come to tell you this morning, I, I, I don't know your story. Your story may be just like mine. It may be different. I don't care what color you are. Hear me, hear me clearly. There has been someone else who has been mindful of all of us too. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. See, if we all call Jesus Lord and Savior, meaning we believe in him, we have to understand that we have someone who stood high above us. Yet he didn't have to do anything for us. CJ didn't have to step in our lives. Jesus didn't have to step in our lives. But yet he was mindful of us and came down and he died the death we deserved on the cross. Listen, listen. Family, this is the reason we're able to keep going in times like today with a pandemic, racism, all the things, the political mayhem. This is the reason we're able to endure because of the mindfulness of God. This is why we continue to pour our lives out on the people we come in contact with to see more stories like mine instead of hearing about the 800 plus murders in 2021. We put our hope in the mindfulness of Jesus because that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us marching through the hard times. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the psalm, one of my favorites again, and we're going to look very closely at the mindfulness of God, how he cares. Uh, this psalm is said to be written by King David, a, a king who was known to have a, a heart after God. He, despite his shortcomings, this was a man who loved God. He he would write at least 73 of the psalms that we know of and maybe more of that that we don't know. David, he adored, he, he worshiped God. This is, a, this is a hymn of praise here where David recognizes God as the divine creator and all of his immeasurable attributes. This psalm hits on a topic that we today as a people are still trying to comprehend, which is that of the creation. God being so high and lifted up, he created everything the eye can see or the hand can touch. I love this psalm because just like David, I find myself sitting in awe. Not, not just at the fact that God created everything that we can see or touch, but because even in the midst of that, he'd be mindful of us. Be mindful of you and I. And so I want you to just go with me and just almost picture the text. Picture yourself in there. Slip on the boots of David. And let's walk through the scripture today. I have three points. Number one, the attributes of an all-powerful God. Number two, God's work on our behalf despite us. And number three, lastly, our response. So number one, attributes of an all-powerful God. God's work on our behalf despite us and our response. <clears throat> In verse 1, David says, O Lord, our Lord. He recognizes God and all of his majesty. He states Lord twice here, where the first in the original text would have actually been pronounced Yahweh. Everyone say Yahweh. 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 The, this was God's personal name. It was a name that was honored and revered. It was never said out loud like y'all just did. It was always written down because they revered, they respected their God. It, it's, it's, 
it's sort of like if you grew up like me, you didn't call a, a grown up by their first name. You, you didn't say, hey, Tammy, what's up? You didn't even say, Tammy, you said Miss Patterson. You said, you said Miss Puckett. You said, hey, Reverend, Dr., uh, Mr. or Mrs. You always revered and respected that person because if you didn't, that's disrespectful to call them by their first name. And, and in my context, you, you might be reprimanded on the spot. And if you didn't get it there, oof, wait till you get home. Mama found out you disrespected that individual. Night, night, it's going down. It's, 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 it's about to go down in the house. And some of y'all ain't laughing because y'all don't know what I mean. Y'all call everybody by their first name. But here, the Israelites, they didn't call God by his personal name because they honored, they respected their God and their maker. The second Lord here represents God's majesty. He is God who has caused everything to exist. He is sovereign and he rules over everything. He, he is God who in Genesis 1 would make all of creation. He would speak light and life into existence. The stars, the oceans, he, the air that we breathe that's in our lungs. All of the plants and all the animals were created all by God. God intricately put together every part of it in order to bring glory to himself. I think about this. Think about, the, think about the greatness of our galaxy for a moment. Think about the universe and the stars in the galaxy. Look at it with me. When, when he, we here on earth, we, we, we look into the sky, what we tend to think is that our planet is all there is. But the truth is, is well, we're part of a, a solar system uh, which is just a small part of the Milky Way galaxy, which houses almost 400 billion stars. Now, the thing that blew my mind away with this is that there's said to be almost 500 billion more galaxies with their own 400 billion stars. Wow. God put together all of this, every part of the universe, in a very particular way, in order to bring glory to himself. And Psalm 147.4 would tell us he determines the number of stars and he gives to them all their names. See, God's glory has not ceased to be made known throughout all the earth. Who is this God who can hang billions and billions of stars in the sky and know all of their names? Stars that we don't even know about. But God... Listen, he doesn't just work on the mass scale of creating galaxies, but he, he works all the way down to the finite, very meticulous details of the red-headed woodpecker. Now, if you've ever watched Woody the Woodpecker, <laughs> if you've ever lived by a woodpecker, you would know that this is probably one of the most annoying birds ever. But at the same time, if you've ever studied the woodpecker, you would know this is one of the most marvelous creations of God. The woodpecker's beak grows continuously because it's used as a chisel 
and it's said to be able to move up to 12 miles per second and up to 20 pecks per second. Now, now, 12 miles per hour, 20 pecks per second, and can stop instantly. That's the beak. It says that when it stops, it's a, a thousand times more powerful, the slowdown, uh, than the gravitational force. And it's a hundred times higher than acceleration experienced by an astronaut during the launch of a space shuttle. But the thing that really boggles me is that the woodpecker's brain, as he is pecking away at this tree, his brain is not disturbed because of the large cranial surface that surrounds his head, distributes the shock evenly throughout his brain. Y'all, this blew me away. It makes no sense. This, this bird banging, banging his head over and over and over and over. And his brain is not disturbed. My head hurts from just shaking it. <laughs> makes no sense. This animal weighing about two to three ounces has been created and put together very meticulously in order to magnify a glorious God. Our minds, being so finite, can't even begin to touch the infinite mind of God. But God, in all of his preeminence, God, in all of his dominance, God, in all of his authority, saw fit to be mindful of you and I. Think about that. God that created all of this, the galaxies and the stars in the sky, the moon, the sun, created the woodpecker here, the red-headed woodpecker. All of that, he still cares about you and I. He cares about how you feel, Jonah. He cares about what you're going through, Ben. He cares about what's going on, Mama Pucky. He cares about all of this. He feels what you're feeling. And this has to be what David is feeling when he's writing this song. It gives us a glimpse into the mind of David when he says in verse 3 and 4, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars, which you've set in place. What is man? What am I? That you're mindful of him and, and the son of man that you care for him. It's got to be what David's saying. Well, well, who am I? See, we see here as we transition to the second point that God, he not only creates everything and he rules over it, but he would have humans in mind while making everything. The text says in verse 5 through 8, I love this, that he, he would make us a little lower than the angels and he would give us dominion over every moving creature in the water and on land. Now, y'all, this is very mind-boggling to me because why would a holy God who creates everything, rules over everything, give anything to sinful us? And see, the problem here, though, is it's a problem with our thinking because when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them sinful. He created them perfect in his image. Man was in a place where he was able to rule over everything or someone else in the correct way. It wasn't until sin entered the world that God giving us dominion became tainted. When Adam gave in and ate from the fruit of the tree, we all fell. And because of that, we became separated from God. And Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, with this understanding, it's pretty clear why David would say at the end of verse 
4, or he would put a question mark at the end of verse 4 saying, son of man, what, why, why would you care for him? And I can't help to think that when David's writing this, he's thinking about all the rebellious acts of humankind that came before him, even his own rebellious acts. Why, why would you care for men? What, what is man? He, he's thinking about this rebellion. I mean, all the way back to, to, the, to the first uh, uh, two, two people, Adam and Eve, when they're in the, in the garden. Man, the simple fact that my man Adam sitting in the garden while his wife is being duped by, by this serpent, y'all, he, he's already fallen right here. I mean, God just told him a chapter earlier, don't, don't eat from the tree in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. And my man Adam, he he, he fell before they got up to the tree with the serpent. Here he is watching his wife being duped. Y'all, he didn't lead her well. Now, that's another sermon for another day, but he had already fallen. Listen, man couldn't lead when they were in a perfect state with God. So what? And let me ask you, what makes us think that we can do any better in an imperfect fallen state? Every leader after Adam, whether you're a regular old man or judge, king, president, you, maybe me, we're imperfect in one way or another. Every person, even if we think we only do good and we don't sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Solomon tells us, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Sin, this rebelliousness, this, this running away from God, this missing the mark. Holiness. This is innate in us. It's in our being. It's something we do natural. Even David here, who's writing this psalm, I said had a, a heart after God. He, he falls in his own sins. We talked about last week. He becomes prideful in his state of king. And what does he do? He's sitting on his balcony when he should have been out to war with his, with his army. And he's sitting over his balcony. He peers over the edge and he sees old Bathsheba, a.k.a. Bad Sheba, y'all. Because she was fine and she was splish splash taking a bath. And, and David was like, ooh lost everything, and told his servants, go get her, bring her into my chambers right now. He forced her, and he slept with her, got her pregnant, and in order to cover up his mess, he kills her husband. And if that ain't bad enough, if it wouldn't have been for little old Nathan coming to David and, and giving him this, this parable or this story about a rich man who had all of these lambs, and, and instead of killing one of his lambs and giving it to the guest who came in town, he takes the one and only lamb of a poor man, and he kills that, takes it from it, and gives it to his guest. David's hearing Nathan talking about this, and he, gets, he doesn't get it. He's like, oh, no, oh, no. And he's getting, he's getting his sword together and everything. Let's go kill this rich man and take all of his stuff and give it to the poor man. And you got to picture Nathan, the prophet. He's probably like, bruh, you tripping. And he eventually says, David, you are that man. You killed Uriah. You had a baby with Bathsheba. You married another man's wife. You're the man, David. That's you. You see, friends, our sin is it's so entrenched in our lives that even when something seems so blatantly wrong, we sometimes don't even recognize it. When's the last time, this is tough, when's the last time you asked the Lord to show you some of your unnoticed sins? 
I know that's tough. When's the last time you went to God in your prayer room and said, God, show me myself. Show me my heart. David, a man after God's own heart, knows what he's doing is wrong. But because of his sin nature, him being now consumed by other things, he falls. Friends, sometimes if we're really honest this morning, we can be just like David. We just look right on over our sin. We keep on moving with our lives like nothing's wrong. And then we become cynical and judgmental towards other people. Because from our vantage point, we're okay. No sin, no problems in my life. I'm doing fine. But the truth is, probably on your way to church this morning, you riding on 290, and you can curse somebody out because they cut you off. Don't, don't act like y'all ain't never done it. Some of y'all was probably flipping the bird at them and stuff. I've, I've been in the car with some of y'all. I know how you drive. <laughs> point is that it's easy for us to look past our own faults to someone else's. And God would say to us, in fact, Jesus says it in the Gospels, get the the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in someone else's. We have to know that even a noticed sin, that our, our sin is deeply entrenched in our lives. And on our best day, we don't deserve anything from God. But yet the psalmist would say, God was mindful of us. That's good. As we bring this text home, I... I We now as believers, we can see God in such a different viewpoint because that same God that's high and lifted up created all things. Everything we can see, everything we can possibly think of, God God creates all these things. But yet at the same time, he's truly mindful of us. I love it. If we go back to the beginning, right after Adam and Eve sinned, we look back at Genesis chapter 3. I love this part because it says right right after Adam and Eve sinned, it says God meets them in the cool of the garden. Basically saying that I, I, he met them right at the point of their need in the midst of their sin. I love it. He meets them there, and even though they're wrong, he's yet gracious because verse 15 of chapter 3, he would say, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, uh, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What's he talking about here? What's, what's God saying? God knowing our sin saw fit to put a plan in action way before David came around, before creation continued on further multiplying. He said, I'm going to put enmity or hostility between the serpent, the seed of Satan, and the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. And there's going to be someone else who's going to come along, and they're going to defeat sin and death once and for all, stomping on your head. God gave Adam and Eve Hope in the midst of their mess, in the midst of their trials. And I wonder how many of us in here this morning can give God praise because he didn't leave you in the midst of your trial. Some of y'all been down and out before. God didn't leave you there. 
You, you didn't have a house or you didn't have a place to lay your head. We've been there before, but God didn't leave you there. Some of you had hard financial times. Your family's been going through it through this pandemic, especially in the last couple years, but you're still here today. God didn't leave you there. Some of you are in the hospital sick with COVID or family members are sick. Miss Tammy, he didn't leave you there, did he? How many of y'all can give God praise this morning because you have a good God who looked out for you just like he did Adam and Eve in Genesis 3? And if you didn't see it in Genesis chapter 3, because I only got several claps on that one. Almost a thousand years later, after the writing of this song, there would be a baby born in a town called Nazareth, where people thought that nothing good could come out of this land. He would be persecuted. He would be hated and beat down by his own people. But little did they know this was the prophesied Messiah that would come from Genesis 3.15. This would be Jesus, God wrapped in flesh, that would come down and die for the sins of the world, dying the death that we deserve on the cross, rising three days later with power in his hands. All because, watch this, he was mindful of you and I. Here's the point in all that I'm talking about today. God has always and always will be mindful of you and I. Even though it may not look like it at times or we may not feel it. God is still mindful. But the question we have to answer is, have we been mindful of him? Have we been mindful of him or do we simply just take this truth about God's mindfulness and we just stick it in our back pocket like a wallet? And then when we get in times of trouble, we just pull him out like a credit card. Jesus, I need you. How have we treated Jesus? Have we been mindful of him? That is the question. See, the truth about the gospel is that God has always been mindful of us when he sends Jesus. And even before that, he's been mindful of us. And in that, it should give us, it, it should leave us in this state of humility because of the grace that's so willingly bestowed upon our behalf. He gave us something we didn't deserve at his own expense. I love this book, Humility. You've heard myself, even Pastor Steve talk about it a little bit. Andrew Murray writes this book. And he, he writes in there this uh, quote. He says, where sin abounded, grace did more exceedingly. This reveals how the very essence of grace is to deal with and take away sin and how it must ever be the more abundant the experience of grace, the more intense the consciousness of being a sinner. It's not my sin, he says, but God's grace showing a man and ever reminding him what a sinner he was that will keep him truly humble. It's not sin but grace that will make me indeed know myself a sinner and make the sinner's place of deepest self-abasement the place I never leave. It's God's grace, he says. Here's the point. Look at this gospel grid. We've shown this before, but look at this gospel grid. As we walk with Jesus, we begin our understanding as we walk with him, our understanding of how sinful we are should grow and the understanding of God's holiness should grow but along with that, the cross should continually grow bigger also. 
our understanding of what Jesus did, the more we understand the depth of our sin, the depth of our problems and how messed up we truly are, our understanding of the cross should grow that much more. But what tends to happen is that the, the cross doesn't grow. It stays the same. And then we get stagnant and we're like, Jesus is nowhere in my life anymore. Well, that's because you, 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 you failed to stay in the word of God. You failed to grow with Jesus. And your, your knowledge of God grew, grew more and your sin grew more. And, and now you're, you're filling a, a deeper chasm. The reality is that we are supposed to, we are as Christians to grow in our walk. And as we grow, the cross grows bigger. The whole time where Jesus and what he's done in our life should always be at the forefront of our minds and everything we do, that he was mindful of us and he died for us. And we saw this pre-planned from Genesis chapter 3. So even if we don't feel it, there's a fact that God has always been mindful since the beginning. See, friends, it's it's when we begin to forget or not recognize daily what God has done and how mindful he's been of us that we start to get in trouble. That's when we get off track. You see, the gospel, what Jesus did for us as believers, is what gives us hope. It's what what keeps us going. It's what allows us to share our lives with people that are different than us on a day-to-day basis. It's what allows us to meet with students every day after school, whether you're a teacher or you're doing stuff with grip. It's what allows us to have that little boy, that little girl, that foreigner, that refugee, that person that has no family or guidance, like myself even, in your house at your dinner table. See, the foundational remedy, if you haven't caught it by now, to all of our problems, it's not rocking science, it's Jesus. It's the gospel. And listen, the way we respond to his mindfulness is, is by being mindful of him in all that we do with our hands. It's not by coming to church just weekly, I mean, and just checking it off the list. It's, it's not by going to your group once a week and just sitting around and eating and talking with one another. That's good, but that's, that, that's not it. it. It's us figuratively bleeding out the way of Jesus on a hopeless and fallen world that needs to see hope in him. It, it's us walking in his ways. And I know, I know we sit here and it's a lot that's going on in our society. And it's tough right now as a believer at times to live in a society like ours. It's, 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 it's tough with everything that's happened in the last month as we talked about uh, different shootings and things that even in our city murder rate and things of that nature. But listen, this isn't a time for the people of God to be afraid. This is time for the people of God to step up and be the church that God has called us to be. The church that's salt and light in a world that needs Jesus. And listen, that's not just on me to preach the word. That's not just on the church leaders here. That's on all of us. This is exactly what Jesus did. When he leaves the comforts of heaven, he didn't have to, but he leaves heaven and he comes and he dies for you and I. So, Family, I end by saying, let us remember that God is in control. And secondly, that he's always and always will be mindful of you and I. And when we truly understand this, then we can say just like David does at the end of the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.
because we truly understand the sacrifice given on our behalf, that we have a God who is mindful of us. Let's give God some praise. He's a good God. He's a good God. Father, thank you so much, God, for your mindfulness. We thank you that it didn't just stop with you thinking of us, God, but you acted on our behalf. You send your son to die the death that we deserve. God, I ask for forgiveness, my own mess, my own sin. God, even the sin of your people. And I pray even the people right now under the sound of my voice will do the same and just say, God, I, I see myself. I've been messed up this morning. I've been messed up this week. And it still blows me away that you still love a person like me. You still see the depths of my heart, my thoughts, the mess in my ways before I even do it. And you've chosen to love me way before I was even created. God, I pray that we would know that love that we would know the mindfulness of God, that we would understand the sacrifice on our behalf. And in that, God, we would walk in your ways, fighting our own ways and everything around us that tells us to do something else, that we would find our hope, joy, a peace, satisfaction, and love in you. Not only today, but all the days of our lives. Lord, I pray for the person that came in struggling with their belief, that they would know that they have a God that loves them on their side, that they're here for a reason. As you're working in their heart, God, I pray even now that they will say, Jesus, I need you. I put myself to the side, God. I, I want you on the throne of my life. I do believe in you as Lord and Savior. Make your home in me, Lord Jesus. Lord, I, I don't know who needs that prayer, whether they've come to you for the first time or they're coming back and saying, Lord, I've been off. Lord, I pray. As your word says, 1 John 1, 9, that you're just and righteous to forgive, God, that they would know that they're forgiven, that they're fully loved and fully approved in a good God. God, we love you. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. We all said amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.